Now what I'd like to do is to frame this topic that we're gonna be exploring for the study group as well as framing this first way of perceiving impermanence. And I'd like to begin by uh, just sharing with you really this single phrase from William Blake. You know, in 1802, he wrote a letter to his main patron and it was in the form of a poem. And he has this one phrase in it where he says, may God keep us from single vision. And of course, William Blake in, in that context was talking about the single vision of a mechanistic world filled with lifeless objects. And it was really pointed out, there are multiple ways to perceive experience that really open up new horizons to our life. And it's, it's when our minds, when my mind gets locked into a single vision, then there's suffering, then there's harm. Then my life becomes so narrow. And I feel like the Buddha is pointing to something similar in this, these teachings on what we can call the three perceptions. It's like he's saying, listen, you know, you got these different, these, these, per, these habitual particular ways of perceiving the world and they are binding you, they're creating suffering. And I can hear him saying, I wanna offer you different ways of perceiving that can free your heart. And for me, when I hear the word perceiving, often it gets uh, connected with like something that's almost heady. So sometimes I'll use the word more of a sense of, what I mean different ways of perceiving, sometimes a phrase that works a little bit better for me, you might have to find your own, own kind of language, is different ways of opening, different ways of receiving experience. I find kind of helpful just to, to, to get a sense of that. And the reason I, I use that kind of language is because it, it gives me a sense of reminding me that, that perceiving, it's a fully embodied process. It's not just thinking about the world or more precisely thinking about experience, it's, it's perceiving it, which is a fully embodied process. And perception, remember, isn't just visual seeing, it can be happening in any of the sense gates. And I wanna point out that often these three ways of perceiving, the way they're talked about often in Theravada Buddhism are the three characteristics. The Pali phrase is tilakana, T is three. Lakana is, is characteristic. But that phrase tilakana comes later. It's a commentarial phrase. It's also used to um, uh, describe some of the suttas, like the anatalakana sutta. The phrase anatalakana is never used in the sutta itself. It's a, it was a title that was pinned on later. Whereas what you find in the suttas is often, not always, the Buddhas will talk about these, these um, qualities and permanence and reliability and that self as perceptions. And I think there's something really fascinating about that. And of course it's, it's complex. He does say that it's you know, also these 
um, qualities of the world. But then again, often the way he uses this word world is different. Loka is different. For example, in one place, he talks about the world being um, something that basically arises from um, this, uh, this mind endowed with perception. So it's combining the arising of the world that arises because of how perception works. And again, those of you who were in my uh, residency around playing with perception, we explored this. It also gives a different sense, I think, of what meditation's all about. Right, I'm framing it for you that meditation's about stepping out of a single vision into being able to perceive experience differently from different vantage points. And this is a very different description of meditation. So often the way meditation is talked about is it's simply being present. Have you heard this? To meditate is to be present. Or some teachers will talk about, you know, to, to meditate is to be aware and to be accepting. You know, other teachers, some teachers talk about taking the one seat. Maybe you've heard this, taking the one seat of just being aware. Or even some teachers will talk about being the door person. You just have to be at the door. You just have to be aware of the guests that come in. Some of you might be aware of the teacher, particular teacher I'm talking about. Who's the particular teacher I'm talking about who says all these kinds of things? Me. <laughs> be aware of me. <laughs> I could mislead you. <laughs> I do this a lot on retreat because I find it, it is helpful to give a very simple instruction of what it is to meditate to simply be aware. And I wanna point out, it can be really misleading too. And again, I, I really appreciate the way Robert Bea interrogates this uh, in a way that I find so helpful. I, I find it helpful to critique my own approaches. It's kind of fun <laughs> and important. <laughs> and I say that because I do find that there is a place for that simple framework. I'm offering you critique, and at the same time, you're going to hear me at other times where you could say, I'm a different teacher, and I want to offer you that. But for this study group, we, we want to have a different approach to meditation, approach to meditation where you are cultivating a particular way of perceiving. And this is what we're going to be doing for the entire week. And I'm going to be inviting you to do this in your formal meditation and both, quote unquote, on and off the cushion. And I want to point out how radical this is already, even for Buddhism, that what, what meditation is about, what this path is about, is gaining skill and perceiving in different ways that actually free your heart. Do you hear how this is different? It's not about, I need to calm my mind so I can see reality. It's not and it's not about understanding some kind of ultimate reality that I'm going to get to when my mind's super quiet. This is pointing out that perception, I'm going to oversimplify this, but we could say perception is almost always at play with every moment of experience. It accompanies, accompanies most moments of experience. Of course, there could be exceptions and kind of the, the Buddhist cosmology, you know, exceptions may be around a taste of Nibbana or the very, very deepest 
experiences of jhana, of absorption. But I think for our intents and purposes, to see how deep perception is. When there's consciousness, there's perception. And I find this fits so well with the Buddha's talking about, because I, I find that the Buddha is super clear again and again, like, I'm not here to give, in, give you a, a metaphysical description of the, of, of, of the world. I'm here to give you tools to free the heart. Here are the tools. Let's perceive in a different way. Yeah, I'm not here to give you some kind of ultimate reality. I'm hearing the Buddha saying that's, that's like philosophical. I'm here to give you tools that free the heart. And here are these particular tools. Perceiving in these different ways, impermanence, unreliability, and not self. He's not even making impermanence something as an ultimate. To remember, we won't get into it. Impermanence is, is dependently originated. It's dependent upon other things. What is it dependent upon? It's de dependent upon time. How do I get a sense of it? How are you going to get a sense of impermanence? There's going to be a subtle comparing of something arising and passing away, but there has to be a, 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 a quality of time there. And I want to say, I'm not saying that we should get rid of perceiving time during this. Maybe there's a time for that. But to just to see that, that impermanence is also dependent upon something. It's not, not one of these um, uh, ultimates in terms of beyond beyond conditions. So again, meditation, how is it being framed? Training in this ability to perceive experience in different ways. And again, what is this undermining? It's undermining that, that this path is somehow getting to a point of experiencing reality, whatever that is that's somehow ultimate in some manner. And rather it's about a practicality of freeing our hearts and minds. Okay, impermanence for this first week. I wanna get into this. And I wanna begin with a poem it's, uh, uh, it's by the, uh, let's see, the, the 14th century uh, Zen master Kozan Ichikyo. And it's a, a death poem of his written, written in 1360. And it said, a few days before his death, Kozan called his pupils together and ordered them to bury him without ceremony. And he wrote this poem on the morning of his death, laid down his brush, and died sitting upright. And here's his, his poem, his final poem before he dies. Empty handed, I entered the world. Barefoot, I leave it. My coming, my going, two simple happenings that got entangled. Empty-handed, I entered the world. Barefoot, I leave it. My coming, my going. Two simple happenings that got entangled. 
we, we enter this thing we call living without any acquisitions. We're empty handed. And you're gonna leave it without anything. And do you hear for, for Kozan, the, the way he is perceiving the unfolding of his life is all around this language of impermanence. Well, what is my life? It's just coming and going. They got entangled. Just two simple things that got entangled. Oh, that's my life. This is what we're attempting to do just for this week. Can I start to start to perceive, to open to, to receive experience through this lens again and again of just coming and going, arising and passing away, undulating. And how does that touch the heart? How does that move the heart? What's the heart's response when you bring in impermanence? Because it can be all kinds of things on the big, big level and the subtle level. Sometimes impermanence is so delightful and wondrous. It's also horrible, don't you think? It tears my heart at times. I get afraid, I worry because things change. I grieve. I'm delighted, I'm overjoyed because experience changes. So it's, it's like I'm, I'm uh, becoming tender, a tenderness to change, noticing how the heart responds to it. And of course, noticing that those responses change. And all in the midst of that, can I cultivate the capacity to be with change? And I wanna point out that the, the, the aim, the vision of at least classically, and I wanna give a, some variations on this, is to perceive to open the impermanence in a way that there's a quality of release for the heart, a quality of letting go. So that I'm not wrapped up, that I'm not as wrapped up in, um, in contention with impermanence. And it can be something so simple about how this perceiving of impermanence can soften the heart, can allow for letting go. This morning when I woke up, I gotta be honest with you. I was in a bad mood. <laughs> Ever wake up in a bad mood? <laughs> I'm not the only one. And it was so helpful to remember, oh, this is an arising. It's just an emotion that's arising. Brian, it's just an emotion arising. Yeah, here it is. Oh, interesting. It kind of dissipates a little, then it increases again. Oh, then it kind of changes. It's a little, just a little grumpy now, not bad mood, just grumpiness. Oh, interesting. It's fluid. Oh, yeah, yeah. But I don't have to get all like bent out of shape or believe this. <laughs> it's just a, a something that's, it's just an arising and passing away. It's just a coming and going that, you know, kind of got entangled, two happenings <laughs> to create this moment. 
Do you hear when I bring in some of that perception of impermanence where I'm feeling that it's changing, I can, I can soften. And this is what we're looking for around subtle changes, around the feeling the flowing quality of breathing or how sounds come and go. So subtle. And then again, as I said, the heart's response, sometimes a sense of wonder and amazement. Becoming tender, a sense of tenderness to change. Cultivating the capacity to be with that change. Noticing the heart's response. And the big changes, can you be present with them as a way and to perceive them as change in a way that leads to letting go, leads to release. And I, I'm, I'm putting an emphasis on leads to because often there is gonna be all kinds of heart responses that, that I have to navigate that aren't necessarily about letting go, it might be the opposite, but I need to traverse that in a way that leads further to, to letting go. So to notice all those heart responses. So the big changes around health, around situations. And there can be so much dimensionality to it. I mean, I, I wanna point out that, that we're looking for both what we would call kind of more in the kind of insight meditation, uh, bare attention, it's kind of a problematic thing where it's just more just feeling things change. There's not so much reflection at all. And then other times where there's a time to actually reflect on impermanence. This is one of the examples of the explorations that I sent to you that we'll be going over in detail, where I take time to reflect that I've been born, I'm gonna die, these kinds of things. So it's both kind of meditative, I'm gonna use an inaccurate word, non-conceptual in a way, just noticing the flow or noticing things coming and going to sometimes reflecting. And the reflection can be helpful in mixing it in with the, the, the heart's response as far as this goes, because I, th I think it can shake things up a bit sometimes when I add some reflection. So for example, for me, some of you know this because I've given a talk on it, and some of you experienced this yesterday. I don't know who lives on the east side in Flagstaff. Melinda, you do. But uh, boy, today, yesterday was a big day. So there's a burn scar up above where I live and where Melinda lives, maybe some of you else, a, fire, uh, a forest fire burn scar. And it received, I think, just over three inches of rain in under an hour. And when three inches of rain under an hour lands on earth that does not soak any of it up, there's a lot of water. And this is the fourth flood that has kind of come down our street. So it's just a massive amount of water. And there's something about witnessing that one, that flowing nature, but also the disruption. Like, it's like all of a sudden, you know, it's like I used to live on a street. I don't live on a street anymore. I live on a river. <laughs> Right, there's a river that, and the only thing between me and the river are our sandbags. 
But what's important for me is to, you know, because you know, there were some leaks in our sandbags we didn't want to get in the house. So there was there's the rush of taking care of everything, making sure our neighbors are okay. But also to slow down to feel that change. Because so often my mind's like, oh, I live in a stable world. Like it's the same old world. I walk outside and there's the streets. There's no mud in the streets. There's no branches. Oh, it's different now. And it destabilizes my sense of a solid permanent world that my mind still believes in on the emotional level. So there's something about that disruption that I can change. That particular flavor of change can be helpful because it's also within my capacity. We're going to get into this. We got the sandbags up. The sandbags protect me. I'm speaking metaphorically here so that I can perceive it in a way that tra tra transforms the heart. And there's going to be other times where impermanence is going to be too much. So we want something around that. That's the other facet of this perceiving is you have to make sure we want to cultivate capacity, not overwhelm capacity. You know, and there are times for different practices when we go through this week. So for example, after the flood, one of my, you know, guys walking down the street, I know him really well. You know, he's, oh, I can say this, yeah. The guy I know really well, he's classic way of walking down the street. You know, he's walking down the street, has a beer in his hand, <laughs> talking about the flooding. It's like, man, you know, I, he said, he said, and I love, you know, we really need the water. But man, if, if, if mother nature could just like, just, just have, just give it to me in smaller doses, that'd be great. <laughs> and that's what the mind's like, right? Like I want, I want impermanence on my own terms. I want it at the rhythm I want it at. And sometimes when it doesn't come at the rhythm that you want, have you ever noticed, like sometimes the thing that feels the best is to have a beer, don't you think? <laughs> and in some ways, it's true for us spiritual practitioners too, not the real beer, maybe. I haven't found alcohol very onward leading. But there are times where I need to soothe my soul. I need to soften because it's a lot of water coming down the road. It's a lot of change, the loss, the change in health, whatever it is. And I need to soften. I prefer having in my hands self-compassion. It's worked much better for me. <laughs> Kindness, spiritual friendship. So I want to say, if the waves of impermanence get tough during this week, that too is what we're exploring. What soothes your soul? Because as I said, this is about learning the capacity around impermanence. And that takes additional ways of perceiving that are not only the classical ways of perceiving, that are also necessary, like perceiving through compassion, kindness, starting with the perception that we began with, spiritual friendship. So yeah, we have these three perceptions. We're going to be exploring impermanence. But keep in mind these other ways of perceiving that support the perceiving of impermanence. Because remember, 
the vision is to let go, release freedom. And this has to have this dimensionality while exploring it. Oh, okay, I'm a little off time, but let's see if we can get through this. I, I do wanna point out something that's not classical Theravada around change, that I think is important, at least for me as a modern practitioner. And it's also the, the poignancy of change in terms of what I'd call beauty or preciousness. And just to explain this through a, a poem, many of you heard this before, because I love this poem. It's by Liesel Mueller, really a great poet. It's a poem in passing. And she says, how swiftly the strained honey of afternoon light flows into darkness and the closed bud shrugs off its special mystery in order to break into blossom. As if what exists exists so that it can be lost and become precious. How swiftly the strained honey of afternoon light flows into darkness and the closed bud shrugs off its special mystery in order to break into blossom as if what exists exists so that it can be lost and become precious. And I share this because maybe this too is part of your path is not only letting go and release, but finding experience and particular things and experience to be precious. Okay, becoming tender, becoming open, opening to change and cultivating the capacity to be with change, noticing the heart's response. And we're gonna be using these explorations again from Rob Berbea's book, The Seeing That Frees. And if you want, this will just be, and I'll put this in an email I'll be sending to you. You can, of course can read the section before these explorations in the book, The Seeing That Frees, and I'll, I'll pass that along to you. If you can click that link right now, or if you printed about the explorations for perceiving impermanence that I gave you as an excerpt from the book, The Scene That Frees. I just wanna go over those really briefly here. And a little later we'll have time if there's any questions or comments. There's three different explorations that were in that document. The first one's entitled Awareness of Change at an Everyday Level. And in it, I'm not gonna go over everything in that, but I, I wanna point out, right, it's these uh, um, uh, kind of on a bigger level noticing change. And the key word or the key sentence to me around this practice, this exploration is the last one. In the last sentence, you don't have to have it in front of you, it says, Notice with as much sensitivity as you can what effects this way of looking, this way of perceiving has in the moment. 
This is what I invite you to become curious about. Like, as he says at the very beginning, take some time at the end of the day to view the day's experiences from this perspective impermanence. To do that, but then you also want to take a step back to notice, oh, what is this reflection doing for me? How is that landing for me? So you're getting a sense of what that perception is bringing to your life and to your practice. So this is a practice of reflection. It's not like formal meditation. It's more kind of, you could say, uh, uh, wise, wise reflection here. It's important to slow down and to engage in that. The second one, kind of this is more moment to moment. And in it, Rob uh, invites you to be aware of impermanence in the six sense spheres. Most of you know this, it's the five uh, sense gates plus thinking. So seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching, thinking. You might want to divide those up, just taking, noticing the impermanence in the thought process and seeing and hearing. I want to emphasize this is not kind of formally part of the six sense spheres, but just because of the way we um, uh, kind of divide experience, I find it's really important for me, both in formal meditation and outside, to be aware of the change in the in my emotional world, because that's the place where I can get so hooked, noticing how emotions come and go. So I want to add that. Also, um, uh, boy, I hope I, well, I do want to name this. Also, just I, I want to invite you, sometimes it's great to take a static object that you see as impermanent, like visually see, if, if, if you're, you're someone who has the biological ability to see. But to notice, even in the act of seeing something that's quote unquote relatively stable, it's always changing. Like if I look at this, pen, I can notice there's always subtle change in some way. And sometimes the change is going to be about how I'm relating to it. So to invite you as far as that goes. If you're not familiar with the five aggregates or Vedana, which Rob talks about in this exploration, just set that aside. If you have the book, you might want to read through it. If it doesn't make sense, set it aside. Keep it simple. There's a lot here. And then the last one, um, you know, I'm gonna, uh, I'll be putting in the email, I send you a, a, a talk, but you could kind of forward the, the talk to the end, I, I offer a guided on reflecting on one's birth and death, which might evoke some things that are in the, the third exploration that's in that, that um, handout that I uh, sent to you. And so that, that's what we're going to be that's what I'm inviting you to engage in are these three explorations during this week. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.